Praise the Lord. All right. Well, here we are once again. Praise God, we're here. And it's dry inside, and it, it stopped raining outside, so we don't have to worry about that, at least for a little bit. Uh, but uh, praise the Lord. Take your Bibles tonight and open them up once again, if you would, to the Gospel of Mark. <clears throat> Gospel of Mark. We are moving on to Mark chapter 9. So if you would find your way to Mark chapter 9 tonight. <clears throat> Hopefully I'll... Uh, the Lord will grant that my voice will maintain throughout the evening here tonight because we were singing over here a while ago and and uh, Mr. Bombard said, oh, there you go. You just shot your voice the rest of the night. I said, yeah, that's probably true, but that's all right. <clears throat> As an introduction to our study here tonight in Mark chapter 9, I want to back up just one verse. Just one verse, and I want to use that verse in conjunction with the very first verse of chapter 9. Now, you may recall that over the last few weeks in our study in the Gospel of Mark, we have been reminded by the Lord that what the general public might think of Jesus, while it is of great importance simply because of who Jesus is, what the general public thinks about Jesus is not so nearly as important as what you and I individually think of who Jesus is regarding who he is in our life. And the basis for that statement is really comes from Romans chapter 14 and verse 12, which says, So then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Every one of us. Not everyone will give an account, every one of us will give an account of himself. And also in Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37, Jesus said this, But I say unto you, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. What we think, you and I, what you think of Jesus Christ is more important than what anyone else thinks around you for your life. So based on the Word of God, the things that we, that is each one of us individually, think and say and believe, and how deep that belief goes in our heart and our soul will determine what we do with Jesus and his message. And it will have to do with how we present ourselves, how we present our witness, our testimony, and whether or not we live out Scripture, especially that what we find in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. You all know what that verse says, don't you? It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye, that is you, that is me, individually, ye, present your bodies a living Sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So, that's a whole lot of stuff, and we're just not even to our introduction yet. That's great. Amen? All right, y'all are sleeping. I'm going to have to wake everybody up here in a minute. All right. Well, read with me, if you would, Mark chapter 8 and verse 38, along with Mark chapter 9 and verse 1. The Bible here says, and we're reminded of this last week, whosoever therefore... Jesus speaking says, shall be ashamed of me 
and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. And he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Now the Lord here was speaking, of course, to all those folks that he had called to gather together to hear, along with his disciples, if you remember from a couple weeks ago, who remember this also, that his disciples had just witnessed Jesus' rather sharp rebuke of Peter. When Peter tried to confront and deny the details of Jesus' suffering and of his death and of his resurrection. Jesus rebuked him and said, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savest not the things that be of God. And so the message that Jesus was sharing was that when he returns again, he will quite simply honor the choices that we have made about whether we honor him with all we do and say, or whether we shamefully say we believe, but then do nothing to demonstrate and share that belief with others. That's what he said right here in verse 1. Verily I say unto you that there be some of the, uh, excuse me, verse 38, just chapter 8, verse 38, whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed. You see, he's going to simply honor the choices that we make. Then he says in verse 1, of course, that it won't be long until he is established as the eternal King of kings and Lord of lords. And he says it will be witnessed so that it will be irrefutable and it will be unchangeable. His words, that some of them that stand here shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. See, those words indicated that this event would not be long in coming. And so they should be looking for it. Friends, are you and I looking for Jesus coming back? I would advise that we not be quick to doubt, and I believe that Jesus was advising that we should not be quick to doubt or to be contrary when the witnesses that Jesus speaks of here testify of it because God does have the power to work both spiritually and physically in this world. So when there's a witness of God's power, we ought not to be quick to doubt and we ought not to be contrary to it. Now with that, we come to our text tonight. All of this is part of the introduction and I appreciate your diligence and your letting me go on here tonight. Mark chapter 9, starting in verse number 2. Read with me and follow along as I read through verse number 10. This is our text for tonight. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him... Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Jesus. 
And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. That, that is Elijah, by the way. For he, uh, Peter, uh, verse number six says, For he wist not what to say, for they were sore afraid. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore, save Jesus only with themselves. And as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen, till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they, in verse 10, kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we look to your word tonight, Lord, it would seem that this is simply a historical record and, Lord, good for knowledge. But, Lord, I would ask tonight that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts of understanding. Lord God, I believe that you have preserved all of your word for our encouragement, for our exhortation, for our learning, for application even in our lives. So, God, I'd ask for your spirit tonight to work mightily. Lord, remove me and may the Holy Spirit of God work. May the Word of God, may Jesus Christ work here tonight. And may your will be done. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, as our study begins in verse number 2, we discover that only certain of the disciples of Christ were chosen for this particular excursion, if you will. In fact, it was these three, Peter and James and John, if you remember, that also went farthest with Jesus into the Garden of Gethsemane before Jesus was taken for his crucifixion. Now, if you're reading through this, one might be tempted to think, why these three disciples as opposed to some of the other disciples? Why just these three? Wouldn't all of the disciples have benefited from this particular encounter? Surely there were eight, well actually there were nine other disciples that Jesus had previously called and ordained as apostles. And he entrusted them also with preaching and teaching and healing sicknesses. And in fact, he gave them power to do so. Why then did only these three get to go with Jesus now? Well, the answer is simply because Jesus chose them. He didn't ask for volunteers. And he certainly did not speak of what was about to happen to drum up interest. Okay, who wants to go? This is what's going to happen. Who wants to go with me? He didn't do any of that. He had a very specific purpose and a very specific reason for choosing Peter, James, and John. Yes, it's the same Peter that just a little while ago... He had to rebuke calling him by the very name of Satan. That same Peter, because Jesus knew his heart and knew what God would do with him, that same Peter was called to go along with James and John. You see, Jesus, knowing all of his disciples and their hearts and knowing their commitment to the ministry, sovereignly, that is, because he could, sovereignly chose these three 
And the Bible says, and he leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves. Where these three were given a glimpse of what you might call the true nature and characteristics of the very deity of the Son of God. Now scripture says that he was transfigured before them. What does that mean? Well, that means that there was a radical, fundamental change. As they saw it, it was a fundamental change from the physical embodiment of the Jesus that they knew and walked with into the glorious, divine, spiritual being as he stood before them and they watched it take place. Notice then after the physical transfiguration, verse number 4, look in your text with me, Mark chapter 9 and verse number 4. Well, let's turn back to verse number 3. This is the transfiguration. You see, going from the physical to the glorious, his raiment, that's his clothing, became shining, exceeding white as snow, as no fuller on earth can white them. Some have said that this was the Shekinah glory of God that appeared, and they saw it. They could see it with their own eyes. He was transfigured from this physical person standing there into the spiritual Christ standing before them. And then verse 4 says, And there appeared unto them Elijah and Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. Elijah and Moses, where did they come from? They were dead long ago. Okay, well, Elijah never actually died. But they were long gone off of the earth many, many years before. And yet here they were, standing before them, talking with Jesus. Now, maybe I'm the only one here that has only gotten this understanding that I'm about to mention as I was studying this for today. But do you realize that in this verse, when it talks about how Moses and Elijah were standing there talking with Jesus, we find a very visual representation of the whole counsel of God. What does that mean? Here we have Moses. Who was Moses? Was not Moses the one used by God to record and to give the holy law of God to the nation of Israel? And here also is Elijah. Named Elias here, but it was Elijah. A great prophet of God who was taken up to be with the Lord God without having to experience the death that he once longed for. If you recall that, Elijah prayed, Lord, it's enough. Take me home now. He didn't want to have to face Jezebel. So by representation, if we look at this, Peter, James, and John saw the very spiritual law. They saw the prophets. And they saw the gospel of Jesus Christ standing before them. That is the entire council of the Word of God standing before them. Well, why is that important to think about? Well, there was a man of God, a preacher, commentator, Matthew Henry by name. He states in his commentary on the whole Bible that 
these companions in this glory appeared talking with Jesus. They did not appear to teach Jesus anything, but to testify to Jesus and to be taught by him. So understand what that means. The law and the prophets testified to Christ. And if we read through our Old Testament, the law and the prophets in our Old Testament, every one of them testifies of the coming Messiah. They testify to Christ. What a picture. Now, I had thought one time when reading through this, I had thought, well, why not, you know, uh, why not Enoch? Enoch was translated. Enoch had this testimony that he pleased God. Why not Enoch? Well, because Enoch didn't have anything to do necessarily with the law. Here was the law and the prophets and the gospel of God all standing here together. Now, we're not told in Scripture of this instance what was said. And I don't know that Peter and James and John necessarily understood or heard what was said, but that really is irrelevant. Why? Because that was the Lord's business. Jesus was talking with Moses and Elijah. Peter, James, and John didn't need to know what was being said. That was the three of them conversing. And by the way, I believe that we don't have any need to know what was said then either. And I don't know if we would understand it anyway. And if we could understand it, we'd probably argue with it. So it's probably better that we don't know. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 12, For now we see through a glass darkly. But then, that is when we put on the immortality and we put on the incorruption, then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part. God doesn't need to give us all of the revelation of all of heaven right now. We couldn't handle it. Now I know in part. But then I shall know even as I also am known now. You see, there is a future coming. There is a heaven coming that once we get there, God will open the full understanding to us then. We couldn't handle it now. It would, I don't know if it would melt our brains. (laughs) So I don't know that Peter, James, and John were given that particular understanding. And yet... And yet, here they were, Peter, James, and John, seeing this incredible, unimaginable, and glorious sight to behold. The very glory of heaven made visible to these three disciples. And then we can see in Peter's excitement in our text, in verse number 5 and 6, look at what he says. Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Did he understand what was going on? No, but he saw Jesus. He saw him transfigured. They saw Moses. They saw Elijah. He said, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Well, there's a couple of noteworthy thoughts here. First, notice that even in this glorified state as Jesus was, Peter was able, without hesitation, without hindrance, Peter was able to speak to the Lord. He said, Master, it is good for us to be here. And he speaks his thoughts. Though I think his thoughts were somewhat misguided when he says, let's build three tabernacles. Now, 
whether they were misguided by the excitement of the moment or by lack of the full understanding, even still, uh, of who Jesus really is, they were yet misguided. But the key point here being that though Jesus is right now in heaven preparing a place for us, he is in his glorified spiritual state, there is no inherent restriction on our Savior hearing our prayers. See, that's something that we ought to take out of this passage. Jesus is in heaven now preparing a place for us, but there is nothing preventing him from hearing our prayers. Without hesitation, without hindrance, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit will hear our prayers unless there's a hindrance to our prayers on our part. As Scripture states in several places, that your prayers be not hindered. You see, those are things that we do that might hinder our prayers. But there's no restriction for the Lord, even in the spiritual heaven that he is. There's no reason he can't hear our prayers. And it's also, and it's always based upon, him hearing our prayers is based upon our spiritual walk. Or if he doesn't hear our prayers, it's based on our spiritual departure from him. You see, it's our fault if our prayers aren't getting to heaven. Well, secondly, if you would notice here that without introduction, Peter seemingly knew exactly who it was that was talking with Jesus. I don't see anywhere that says, oh, by the way, Peter, James, and John meet Elijah and Mo. That wasn't ever said. Maybe it happened, but that's not what was said. What was said was, Peter said, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Elijah, and one for... He knew who these two men were. Now, I believe that that's an indication of the knowing that we heard from 1 Corinthians 16, just, uh, 13 just a moment ago. When we put on that incorruptible, when we put on that immortality, we will know as we are known. That's the knowing, and I believe that in this passage, these three disciples were given just a glimpse. Why? Maybe we'll get to that here in just a minute. What is clear, though, in this passage is that this experience was rather overwhelming. Wouldn't you be overwhelmed if you were standing there and you saw all this happen? I would be like, okay, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm, I don't know if I would do that or not. I trust that I wouldn't. But these three didn't. They stood there and they watched it. And it was overwhelming because the Bible here says that they were sore afraid. At the very least, I would be sore afraid too. Now oftentimes, think about this with me for just a minute, and oftentimes in an overwhelming situation, we might be left speechless. Uh, I don't know what to say. Uh, you know, and we're, we're just dumbfounded at what might be happening in front of us. But in true Peter-like fashion, he said the only thing that he could come up with to try to grasp something of the enormity of the moment. He said, Peter, uh, he said Master, it's good for us to be here. Let's, let, let's do something. Now the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139 and verse 6, Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is, it is high and I cannot attain unto it. I think Peter here couldn't grasp what was happening here. 
So he said the only thing he could come up with is, this is fantastic, this is Elijah, this is Moses, these are great men of God, and, and Jesus, let's build you a tabernacle right here. Let's just worship and, and, and call everybody up here and let's... But that's not what was necessary. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. But aren't you glad that God knows just exactly what we, you and me, what we can and what we cannot handle. And he gives us uh, the Holy Spirit to lead us into that knowledge. And he gives us just exactly how much we need when we need it. Aren't you glad of that? I am. So, what have we got going on here? Well, we've got Peter, James, and John. They have been granted this incredible privilege to grow in their personal knowledge of Christ. You see, they were taken up to see the heavenly, divine glory of Jesus Christ to help them understand just who this was that they were dealing with. They were given this privilege to grow in their personal knowledge. They see him transfigured and they see him speaking with heavenly saints. And while Peter has to say something here, realizing what a great honor it is to be included. And so he opens his mouth And he inserts both feet. I'm sure that Peter was well-intentioned. But you see, rather than just being quiet, observing what was going on, meditating and contemplating what it is that he's trying to understand, what it is that he's seeing... Rather than contemplating the authority of Jesus Christ, both in the physical that they knew and now in the spiritual that they're seeing, Peter let the extraordinary situation become a distraction, which took his focus off of this revealed divine nature of Christ. Wow, this is just what wow, this is just fantastic. We we got we got we got to do something to commemorate this. Let's put up a plaque. Let's do something. It became a distraction rather than him trying to just understand what it is that he's seeing. So as these three chosen disciples that were closest to Christ personally, as it were, Jesus was revealing to these witnesses that that he was in fact the Messiah sent from heaven, the divine Savior. And so much more than just a good man ordained of God to be the king of the Jewish people and ultimately of the people of the world. But then by the grace of God, see what happens? Look what happens next here in verses 7 and 8. And there was a cloud that overshadowed them. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son here him. That's all that was said. Nothing was said about Elijah. Nothing was said about Moses. The voice out of the cloud, which we have to understand is the voice of God, as the text here says, this is my beloved son here, him. Him alone and no one else. And look what happened in verse 8. And suddenly when the disciples had looked round about, they saw no man anymore save Jesus only with themselves. Just like they had seen him before this all happened, there he was, standing alone. You see, God intervened when Peter started getting distracted. When Peter started going off the rails a little bit, God intervened. 
and made it completely and perfectly clear for the disciples that Jesus, who stood there before them, was the only one to whom they must pay attention. He said, this is my beloved son here, him. No matter what else happens in any given situation, whether it's good and glorious like this situation or whether it's amid terrible storms in life, we must only allow that our Savior Jesus Christ is our one true focus. Nothing else can help us in any situation. Nothing else, no one else has the authority and the ability to rightly resolve any trouble that we may be in. And no other man, now or previously living, no other man is worthy of the worship and honor and glory that Jesus commands. For God has declared it, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, hear ye him. You know, I think that we will oftentimes be amazed in both awesome ways when great things happen, and we'll be amazed in very fearsome ways. And I think that we will let the circumstances oftentimes become the object of our wonder. Wow, I can't believe this is happening. Wow, did you see what great things just happened? Wow, I can't believe how terrible that storm and the thunder and all the things are out there. I can't believe how bad the flooding got. And I can't believe how bad the flooding got, but I have to believe it because God allowed it. But you see, so often we look at the circumstances and we get distracted. And those are the objects at which we focus our attention. But God here is reminding us that all of the surroundings and all of the emotions and all of the experiences that we face, they must not distract and take away from the one truth, the one way, the one life that is Jesus Christ. Our focus must be taken off all other counterfeits and placed hard upon the captain of our salvation. This same Peter, you recall this same Peter, when Jesus was walking on the water, Peter saw him and he said, Lord, if that be you, come, bid me come. And the Lord said, come. And Peter was walking on the water as long as he was focused on the Lord. And just as soon as his focus was removed, he was about to die. Lord, save me. And what happened? God intervened recentered his focus he pulled him up and they were instantly in the ship you see when things are happening good things bad things if our focus is taken off of the lord jesus christ we've missed it friends we have to be focused on jesus at all times because he is our source of life and all that we are now for these disciples we find as we close here tonight that as they returned from this excursion in verses 9 and 10, as they returned, 
You see, they were charged by the Lord to keep what just happened to themselves for the time being. Read along with me, verses 9 and 10. And as they came down from the mountain, he, Jesus, charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one another what the rising from the dead should mean. Now, though they had just been granted a very special insight into the deity of Christ, they, like we, and we just sung it a moment ago, still had much to learn. But keeping their focus right, keeping their focus on the Lord Jesus Christ and Him alone, would later prove to be the foundation upon which God would be able to use these men to accomplish tremendous things for God's glory. You see, when Peter stood up and spoke on the day of Pentecost, thousands that day were added to the church. They couldn't understand it. These men are not learned men, but the power that they just spoke with. You see, focusing on Jesus Christ gives us that foundation to speak with that kind of power when we're talking with others. So it is with uh, so it is with you and me. If we will focus always on the one Jesus Christ. God may graciously intervene when we need our focus recentered and then help us through with the Holy Spirit to keep us focused in him alone, but when we are focused on the one Jesus Christ, God just may grant that we can see tremendous things done for God's glory and for God's honor if we're faithful to him. The one true focus is Jesus Christ. Pastor, would you close? Well, when we consider the world and the time in which we live and complain about how dark it's getting and the immorality that just is running rampant everywhere. And then we face the flood. There are a lot of distractions out there, aren't there? And we put a lot of priorities on our physical possessions, our material possessions. And at a time like this, when it's so easy to be distracted, it's a time that we need to be focused. So busy about repairing, putting back together, Where's this going to come from? Where's that going to come from? It comes from the Lord. If we're not going to focus on Him, then we'll have to just kind of be weary warts as opposed to, hey, I'm going to trust the Lord. Lord, you know what we need. We need this, we need this, we need this, we need this, and, and Lord, we're going to put it all in your hands. Let him, let, let him work. And so we can tell others, this is what God did. Amen? Not what we did, but this is what God brought our way. Father, we thank you for this time that we could be together. We thank you for the message tonight. And Lord, that we do need to be focused. Lord, sometimes we become so focused on our jobs that we lose our focus for you. We become so focused with our families that we lose our focus for you. Lord, there are just so many things in this world. And Lord, oftentimes in the hustle and bustle of life, we lose our focus. But Lord, may we be reminded that each and every day we need to start with our focus and end the day looking back and realizing that we had focused on the Lord throughout the difficulties, the blessings, 
the joys and the excitements that come with it. So, Lord, you guide, you direct. And we give you the praise and the honor and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, sir. Remember to pray for David and Leah.